Mommy's Podcast. It's called A Slice of Paradise. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you enjoy it. Or, or. Okay, welcome to a bonus episode on A Slice of Caradice. Um, my guest today is Chris Cockerham, and we're going to have a Veterans Day special episode. Chris and I work together, um, haven't known each other very long. How long have you been here? I've been here, it'll be three years in February. That doesn't seem like that long. No. Um, so anyway, we know each other from work, but I remember hearing about you and your weather forecasts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> weather He's the weatherman in our area. I retired from that. Did you? Yes, I did. I mean, we still have severe weather we need to have warnings for. We do, but it just got to a level I was having to one-up myself. And I was like... <laughs> it was exhausting. I'm going to around and get blown away by the tornado on Facebook <laughs> one day, so I better just... You were the Jim Cantori of Thornton. Yes. Yes. Oh, Letha. Oh, Letha. Excuse Letha. me. Let me get it right. Um, so, anyway, we work together, and uh, it's been cool to get to know you. I want I you approached us about a Veterans Day episode or just coming on and hearing a veteran's perspective but it wasn't necessarily the veteran I, I don't think that made you want to approach it it was you just wanted to eat some red velvet cake that's right exactly right so today's slice yeah. is red velvet cake and he uh we had red velvet cake for Brittany's episode and that was like episode two of the yeah. whole thing. Yeah. And so you had your eyes set on red velvet cake. So we have red velvet cake again today, and it is delicious. Yes, it is outstanding. Mitchell was in the wrong line of work. He, That's right. He needs to take that and run with it. Because <laughs> it, was, it, was, yeah, it was amazing. It's, uh, I really appreciate it. Fat layers of red velvet cake, and uh, I haven't even had a bite because I just I'm looking at it like this is gonna make my belly yeah, hurt. It's so sweet. Eat that in time to go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway, so um, you were. In the Marines. Yes, ma'am. When did you get into the Marines? I enlisted in 2003. I actually, I was a junior in high school. I enlisted in the delayed entry program. Tell me what that is, delayed entry. It's where uh, basically you want to enlist, but you have to finish high school, so they let you enlist early and kind of prepare you a little bit about joining the Marine Corps and about what boot camp's going to be like. And that time counts towards your inactive reserve, or towards your reserve time at the end of your contract. So you were able to graduate high school, yes. but you were already enlisted yep. at the time. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And so you were what, 16, 17? I was 17 at 17. Yeah, I had to get parental consent. My parents had to sign and all that stuff for Okay, me. cool. And so you were um, sent off to boot camp at, at what point? MCR, uh, well, in July of 2004, after I got graduated high school, I went to MCRD San Diego, where the real Marines come from. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. <laughs> and so how long were you there in San Diego? I was there uh, three months. Okay. And well, tell me what that looked like. It, it was interesting. It was an experience. Um, you got there. One day I was in Teague, Texas, and I left. Uh, never been out of the state, really. You know, I've been to Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't count. I'd never flown on a plane. But the first flight I take in my life is to Marine Corps boot camp. And uh, we get there. We're at the airport. And we're all just kind of standing around, and then these drill instructors come and got us, and it just, my world got turned upside down right there. Mm, countries come to town. Yes, very <laughs> much so, yeah. So tell me what the climate in the world was like when you decided um, to enlist. Well, uh, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, they were still fresh. Uh, everything was September 11th was still fresh, so uh, President Bush was in office. So at the time, everybody was kind of rallying around the troops and 
mm-hmm. you know, was real patriotic. Support was super high. Everybody was, you know, I don't want to say wanting to go get revenge or whatever no, well, for September 11th, but they were we had a make, mission. They wanted to make it right. Yeah, exactly. We had a mission. So it was, it was good. You know, whenever I had told people I was going to join the Marines, I got a lot of support, a lot of positive feedback for that. And, but. What was your plan had you not joined the Marines? I really don't know. <laughs> I probably I really couldn't tell you. Yeah. Didn't have one. So you knew pretty early on that that's, what's, yeah. that's where you were going to go. I knew from a young age, even before September 11th, that I wanted to join the Marines. And so tell me what the examples in your life looked like at that point for you to even have that idea. Um, well, when I was young, I had several members of my family that were in the military, uh, specifically my cousin Lonnie. He was in the Marines in the early 90s, and he's been more of a brother to me growing up than a cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I, we have a really close bond. And I remember when he would come home on leave or whenever he got out of the Marines for good, I would put on like his camouflage uniform and, you know, walk around look at myself in the mirror in it, you know. <laughs> and, but um, he taught me a lot growing up and I've always looked up to him. And so through my life, it was in the back of my head. But as I got older, you know, got into high school and stuff, I still had the idea. But Whenever September the 11th happened, that's what really sealed the deal for me. And how old were you when September 11th happened? I was 16, sophomore in high school, and watched it all on television. At school? At school. Yeah, me too. Yeah. It was, I just remember like that day, it just, I don't know, it just the switch went off in my head. It's like, I'm, I'm joining the Marines. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. This. It became personal. Yeah, real yeah. personal. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, what was your what was your immediate reaction from the from your family when you decided you were going to go in the Marines? They were like, "Oh no, you're not. You're, you're not." <laughs> your Marine. mom? No, yeah, my mom was. God bless her. She was just you know in panic mode. Mm-hmm. My dad kind of I feel like he was like, "Well, yeah, that'd probably be a good thing for you." But <laughs> no, he was. They had some reservations about it. And like I said, uh, when I got in a delayed entry program, they had to sign for me. And I remember my mom told me, she said, I'm not, you can do anything you want to except infantry. I'm not signing a piece of paper so you can go get killed. Mm. And so I had to go talk to my recruiter. I was like, hey, Sergeant Bob, what's the next best thing to infantry? <laughs> he was like, probably tanks. And I said, let's go tanks. Oh, so, and she signed it. And she signed it. Yeah. Wow. You know, if somebody were to put that in front of me about my kids, I'd have to do some major research oh, yeah. before signing that Absolutely. away. Yeah. Absolutely. So tell me about where you went after San Diego. Uh, I came home on leave, a 10-day boot camp leave, and uh, got to see everybody. Went back to California to MCT, Marine Combat Training. Left there and went to my MOS school, Military Occupational Specialty School, which I was 0811, which is field artillery, cannon air crewman. I didn't get the tank job because tanks and field artillery fell underneath combat support option, and it's kind of like... You're going tanks, you're going field artillery. Tanks, field artillery. Okay, like an A, B situation. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And so how long were you there? I was there, it was was about six or eight weeks. I was in Lawton, Oklahoma at Fort Seal. That sounds horrible. It was, and it was in the wintertime, too. It was cold. I've never been that cold. Well, yeah, I have been that cold, but it was terrible. Yeah. Because there's nothing in Oklahoma to stop the wind. (laughs) We stayed in the field learning our jobs, you know. Yeah. So... And so where'd you go after that eight weeks? After that eight weeks, I went to Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Oh, we've been hearing some commercials about this. Yeah, about the, the <laughs> Camp Lejeune toxic water. I'm not part of that lawsuit. Okay, good. Um, I thought I was going to Camp Pendleton originally, but mortars got swapped. And I wanted to go to Camp Pendleton, but... And where's Camp Pendleton? It's in California. Okay. 
and um, my orders got changed. I went to Lejeune, and I was bummed out at first, but it ended up paying off because I met some just great, great people out there, and it just you know changed my whole life being out there with those guys. Okay, tell me about the people that you met out there and what that looked like. Well, when you first get to your unit, you're what they call a boot, which means you're fresh out of boot camp, and uh, the unit that I was slated to go with, they were actually finishing up a deployment in Iraq. So when you come back from the deployment, you get to go on a couple of weeks of leave or whatever. Well, they came home. While we were waiting on them to get home, we ran the headquarters platoon with headquarters battery. First uh, battalion, 10th Marine headquarters battery. And they're like, where are you going, you know, after you leave headquarters? I'm like, I'm going to Bravo battery. And they're like, these guys would laugh. They're like, oh man, it sucks to be you. I'm like, why? They're like, you'll see whenever they get back. And um, so I was with the headquarters platoon or yeah headquarters battery for I don't know a month or so me and four mm-hmm. or five other guys and then Bravo battery finally came back and when they came back they came back like they came back like we're fresh from Iraq and they were it was it was interesting to say the least it was like uh, you hear people say always like feeding a fresh piece of meat you know to the wolves or whatever it, it was literally like that like yeah. it was I've never been it was almost like going to like the Thunderdome, like going to gladiator school. Like I'm serious. <laughs> like these guys were, they were tough. Like they were some of the like when you think about like somebody that comes back fresh from combat and the mindset they would have. That's what it was. And yeah. It was that whole group of guys. I mean, they were hard. You know, just tough Marines. Uh huh. And they had seen some stuff. And they had, yeah, they'd seen some stuff. And um, you know, we're new, fresh out of boot camp, and we're like, you know, we're the guys that. A lot of them had, you know, a couple of years left on their time on active duty, so they knew that we're going to get deployed again. They knew that we're going with them, so mm-hmm. they were pretty rough on us. I mean, they were tough, and they they made sure that we knew our jobs. So. And how long were you in that? What I did was, you say, Bravo Battery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Bravo Battery. How long were you there? I was there for the rest of my enlistment. Okay. I stayed with that one unit the rest of my enlistment. Okay. So I got to transition from being a boot and Bravo battery and getting put through the ringer uh-huh. to, you know, now, you know, I'm a senior Marine in Bravo battery and I'm teaching, you know, the younger Marines, the younger generation. So did you ever have a deployment? Yeah, we deployed, uh, went to Okinawa, went to South Korea. That was the first deployment. Went to, uh, you hear a lot about the DMZ of North Korea and South Korea. Mm-hmm. We went there and, uh, we were training with the Royal, Royal Republic of Korea Marines, excuse me. Okay, so where'd you go after Okinawa? After Okinawa, we came back to the States. Okay. And um, we trained, and like I say, we really, if we weren't getting ready to go on the deployment, we were deployed or we were in the field training. There wasn't a lot of, you know, slack time in the rear to, you know, hang out and go. I mean, we got weekends off and things, but it was just always, we were just on a rotation. Right. So we were always, we'd come home for a little while or we'd go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it might have been a going like Fort Pickett or Fort AP Hill or out to Mojave Desert in California for CACS training, but we were just always constantly training, always Mm -hmm. moving. And you didn't have any family, any of your immediate family at the time, right? You weren't married, no kids. No, no. I was single and had mom and dad back home. That's right. Um, So how long were you enlisted there with that um, division? I was there, I guess, from February of 2000 until July of 2008. Okay. 
And so what was your total service time? How long? Your duration? Four years. Four years. Yeah, okay. I did four years and came home. Okay. And so what was your reasoning for wanting to get out? I just, I saw the toll that it took on my family back home, mm-hmm. and it was, it took a toll on me as well, man, because we just constantly, we lived in such a stressful state. I mean, it was, there was a lot that I enjoyed about it, but we just, we were constantly stressed, because like I said, we were moving, we were always doing something. Right. Always worried about where are we going to go next. You know, my mom was always, you know, where are we going? Where are you going next? Are they sending y'all anywhere? I'm On edge to hear from know, you. you know? yeah. yeah, I can imagine that just waiting by the phone at all times. Yeah. You know, I mean, especially when you were like off in Japan, it's yeah. well, what's the time difference? I need to be awake when he's asleep, yeah. or you know, awake at the same time. Yeah, we did that. And, um, I remember like coming home on leave and stuff, and mom and dad would be like, well, you know. Are y'all fixing to leave? Are y'all fixing to... And I'm like, oh, they're talking about, you know, something. Then I remember the day did come, they're like, hey, you know, we're going on block leave because we're going on a deployment into Iraq, and it's supposed to be a pretty bad one. So I remember they sent us all home on block leave and stuff, and that little period of coming home on leave, that was pretty rough because it was like... You knew what was coming. Yeah, it was like, are we going to... Is this going to be the last time I get to come home? And, mm-hmm. you know, all that. So it was emotional, and we ended up... We left, and... We ended up not having to go, not having to go through all that hardship. We, uh, as far as we got, was took away, and we sat there and staged up and waited and waited, and we didn't. We shot some artillery and did some things, but we didn't have to, you know, go be on the front lines. Yeah, we didn't yeah. have to go to Fallujah or Ramadi or any of those hot spots that you hear about. What did your fears look like at that point? When you, I mean, obviously we were all watching the news. It was so it's such a hot topic, and all those those cities that you just mentioned, like Fallujah, in my head has not made a, a place in years because it was all we heard for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, the Kuwaits of the world, like we we don't really think about those cities now, but it was so a, such a big part of our childhood. Yeah. Um, what what was your what did your fear look like around those cities and you know the things that you were hearing about what was going on in those cities? It's like you would uh, you get to talk to Marines that had been in those cities like especially in Kuwait because that was a transition point mm-hmm. a lot of that's the start and stop for a lot of Marines that are going and you get to talking to those guys or like me being in the artillery unit we were attached to an infantry unit to three eight and they had gone to Ramadi and they had a bad deployment and you start getting to know those guys and they start telling you about what it was like. And then you just start thinking, like, my biggest fear was, you know, if we go somewhere like that, am I going to be able, you know, to make sure that I come home alive and the guy to the right or to the left of me comes home? You know, did I prepare the guys that are younger than me, you know, that, because that, I, I was a corporal at the time, so I had to do some instructing, like, light instruction right. with some of the younger guys and stuff. And I'm like, am I giving these guys the tools they need to? you know, survive whenever I myself haven't even been through it yet. Right. But I was, you know, I was surrounded by guys that have, and a lot of the guys that have gone, they've gotten out this time, and they, that's why they were so hard on us, because it was like they're trying to give us the lessons to go and stay alive and make sure you come home. Right. There seems to be such a greater, like, personal responsibility that you yeah. take on in that role, because not only are you responsible for you coming home safe, yeah. but you're responsible for everybody else coming home safe, too. It's kind of the care that turns into one of those deals. I remember thinking, like, you know, if something happens to me, I'm fine with that. You know, it mm-hmm. is what it is. But if something happens to this Marine next to me to because of something I did or did not do, you know, that's what you worry about. 
I can just imagine my, myself in that situation, just like mulling over every single checklist, yeah. like throughout the night of, did I oh, do yeah. this yeah. in preparation and in like retrospect, right? Yeah. Did I do every single thing I was supposed to do today? Yeah. Because one switch and everything it, could change. Yeah, and you start thinking, do I, do I know my job as well as I'm supposed to? Do I know, you know, what to do in different situations? And it, I mean, it's, there's really no way to prepare yourself, I don't think. That's tough. You're living your life on edge, just yeah. questioning everything about yeah. you. Man. Yeah, and you're, you're just sitting there like, you know, do I have all my ties at home? Is everything in order? It's, right. You know, and... Have I signed but, all the documents? Yeah, and before you before you go on deployment, you're, you know, 18, 19-year-old kid, you know, you're filling out a, a will, like, Ugh. filling out papers, and you ask, you're like, what is this paper? They're like, well, that's if you get blown up, are we going to send you back in one piece, or what are we going to do, you know? Oh, my gosh. That type of stuff. You yeah. Know? It's just... I don't it's know like your mind. brain's not ready for decisions like that. It's like it's like you're not, but I think that you know from the time you sign that paper and you enlist, like you you already accepted that. And that's mm-hmm. just part of the job. That's just that's it. Well, and I'm sure you knew early on whenever you did want to go into the Marines that that could be that could be the end oh, result. Yeah. That that could be the, the yeah. hill you died on. I, I had a lot of people, you know, they're coming like, "Oh, you're you're going to go to war and you're going to get killed." And I'm like, "Well, if I do, that's fine, you know, right. because I'm not signing up to." You know, for anybody to please anybody else. Right. Know? This is for me. This is for me, and this is what I feel like I need to do for this country mm-hmm. at that time, you know. And, so. Tell me about the relationships that were built while you were in the service. Uh, you talked a little bit about the guys coming back from Kuwait and, and being deployed, but what were the guys next to you at day in and day out? What were the friendships like, and how are they different from your civilian friendships now? Okay. The, so the guys when I first got out to Bravo Battery, they they just got back from Iraq mm-hmm. from you know deployment, and um, like I mentioned, they were pretty rough on us. And but it was they, they they treated you rough and they did things. But it was to see if you if you had that flight or flight. Everybody has that. Right. It was they were trying to see if you're gonna fight. Are you gonna be a coward and mm-hmm. you know both bow down or whatever? Or are you gonna stand up and fight? And they just. Slowly but surely, it turned into more of a like a mentorship. Like there, you, I don't know how it works. I don't know why it works like this. But some some of the veterans listen to this and understand. Like you get like singled out by people. Yeah. And they're like, all right, this is my boot. He's my boot. You don't mess with him. He's mine. I can do whatever I want to. Make mm-hmm. him do whatever I want to. But you don't mess with him. And slowly but surely, it turns into a mentorship, and they start respect. Teaching. Yeah. It's like you you have to earn their respect. That's and cool. I had told myself just because. I knew people that had been in the Marine Corps, like my cousin, told me, no matter what happens, don't don't go in there and be a punk, but don't go in there and just, you know, act like you're the hardest one there because you're not, you know. Right. And that's what my recruiters had told us, and my recruiters did a real good job preparing us for that, or preparing me for that. But um, you just, you, it's stuff like that, and you start looking and you start thinking, well, you know, they're doing this stuff to us for a reason. They're mm-hmm. not doing it just... I mean, yeah, it was funny and amusing sometimes, but they weren't doing it just because they were bored. They're doing it because, you know, if you're in the middle, you know, the world's falling apart around you, and they, somebody tells you to do something, are you going to question it or are you going to go do it? Right. You know? It's all in preparation for something yeah. else. So you can yeah. you can look back in retrospect in retrospect and see that everything that you went through within boot camp and even in yeah. Bra- battery Bravo, Bravo battery, battery yeah. <laughs> had a purpose. Yeah. yeah. That's what Bravo's call, call sign was at the time was brimstone, and 
Rilo just had a had a reputation of just being hardcore, just just a hardcore Marine Corps unit. And I think that at one time you could have put us up against any unit in the Marine Corps, and we would have rolled right over them. I mean, it was just yeah. Like I said, it was like going to gladiator school, and I learned so much about myself just as a person, you know, and what I could endure and what. I hate to say what pain was, but, you know, hardship and what what it really is, you know. Real life scenarios, too. I mean, we go through life, civilians, we go through life, and we don't really think about real life scenarios in that way. But y'all are faced with it every day of, like, what happens if this life-changing scenario goes down. And And the bond bond that you built through that, it's like you know without a shadow of a doubt that the guy next to you, like, he's got your back. Right. You know, after all the stuff that they've done or all the stuff you went through, training or whatever, you know, whenever you finally get there, hey, if the world falls apart around us, you know, these guys are going to stand up and fight. If something happens and I'm by myself, they're going to come for me. Yeah. And it's like you don't even question that. You just know because that bond that you forged and it's through those hardships and those trials that you were put through. I was going to ask you that. Like, the brotherhood that you formed while you were, while you were in the service, have you... Is it unlike any other brotherhood? Absolutely. There's no civilian brotherhood that's the same. Not at all. Yeah. I have I have civilian friends that haven't served there. I mean, they're great friends. They're great people, and I love them to death, and I know they love me and my family, but I know 100%, you know, the guys that I served with, if there was any issue at all, if I needed help anyway, I could pick up that phone and start making phone calls, and I, you know, immediately somebody's coming. Right. I think so often we throw around the phrase, I'd go to battle for that person, like very freely as civilians, but y'all put it on a different level when you actually do. Yeah, it's like you always hear people, all right, well, you know, call me if you need anything. And like when people say that, in my head, I think, well, if I really call you, are you really going to show up? You know, if it's, hey, you know, regardless of the situation, are you really going to show up or are you going to show up if it's convenient? Right. Are there any weight behind those words? Yeah, like, like the guys you serve with, you know, like 100%, absolutely, no right. question. That's their know. assignment. That's it, you know. And That's cool. You know, we don't think about it like that. We don't think about the weight of the words. Yeah. In a situation like that, we just think we're doing the right thing and offering help. But yep. y'all portray point blank the ways that you stick by your word yeah. and you're going to go to battle for somebody and it doesn't matter like you get in that mindset like sure there's people that you might not get along with or you might disagree with that's in your unit but you know as much as you don't like that person you know if something happens you're not going to leave them you're not right you're going to be there you're, you're responsible gonna, yeah you're yeah responsible for that guy it goes back to that personal responsibility and that's it so how do you feel like this? Uh, your time in the service has made a difference on you personally? You said you learned so much about yourself yeah. while you were there. Tell me some things that you learned. Well, it just it, it let me know that it let me know that I can overcome a lot of adversity. Like I can mentally, like us as humans, like you're you're a lot stronger than what you think you right. are. And definitely, your body your body's going to quit before your mind does. And it just really let, let me know that, like I say, growing up in TIG, you know, never really leaving the limestone or the freestone limestone kind of the Tri-County bubble. Mm-hmm. Once you leave that bubble, there's a whole nother world out there. And it let me know that, you know, my mindset, I had a simple mindset. I had the simple, you know, life's great. Everybody gets along and stuff. And when you leave that, you don't have that no more. And you're kind of on your own. Right. So you kind of start having... You kind of start trying to figure out who you are, you know, as a person. And once you figure it out, you're like, you know, I'm a lot tougher. I'm a lot stronger. 
mentally. Um, so I was drawing this in my head earlier, this connection, but you were your brother's keeper out there, yeah. right? Yeah. And now you're working in a production environment where yeah. safety is king, right? We right. are all very mindful of safety. Right. Has that changed the way or you see differences in people that maybe haven't served that they kind of just view things differently from being somebody's keeper? Yeah, I, I think so. I think you can tell because I think, like you said, as a veteran, you're looking, you want to look out for the guys writing to the left you. And, you know, the, the last thing I want to do is have to talk to somebody's family and say, well, you know, I was I was there with him that day. Right. I didn't say anything, and mm-hmm. now here we are. Right. Um, and it makes you, you know, some people I feel like sometimes I say stuff or I react to situations different, and they're like, well, you know, Chris is a, you know what, he's... He's not a nice person, I right. guess. But uh, <laughs> it's not that. It's just I just I don't know. I I just I guess I have like a kind of a not a short fuse, but I just have a pretty low tolerance. It made me have my time of service made me have like a real real low tolerance for nonsense. Yeah. Like, I'm I enjoy life and I cut up and have a good time, but I'm kind of I feel like I'm kind of a direct person. Like I'm, I try to be direct and you know blunt about things. And that goes back to my time in the service because that's what, that's how you had to be. Sure, it didn't I mean, benefit you to dwell. No, it, and I mean it didn't benefit you to you know, to lollygag and horseplay mm-hmm. and you know take right. things you know. Some people have told me, "Man, you just take life too serious." I'm like, "Yeah, I take it serious because it is serious." I right. Mean, but. How do you feel like it's changed your view on your family's safety? Like when you're watching the news. Um, and you see all the things happening in our world. How do you view your family's, your core unit's safety differently now because you've fought for that? Yeah, I just, it makes me like, you see what's going on in Ukraine and going on, you know, with Ukraine yeah. and Russia. It just, it makes me think, you know, something like that was happening here. You know, the first thing I ask myself, I'm like, am I ready to defend myself and my family? Mm-hmm. You know, could I go out there today if something broke loose and pick right back up? And, you know, I... I tell Tara all the time, you know, Tara's my wife, I tell her all the time, like, hey, we need to start, you know, thinking about if something happens, because, you know, there's things going on in this country that, you know, a lot of unrest with, you know, people, and you never know, people are just, people are crazy. Is it sometimes yeah. hard for her to hear that, and hard for her to think in those spaces? I think so. Yeah, because we don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that it's, I think that she just doesn't, I think she might not like, like, seeing me start getting revved up and getting start, antsy yeah getting antsy about stuff like that that would make it, me uncomfortable yeah definitely you know definitely i worry about you know my family my parents my sister and her family i worry about you know them all the time mm-hmm. you know yeah and that's tough i mean i appreciate the ones who worry yeah. i used to be one of the ones who worried um i also don't know how much it moves the needle to worry sick all the time right. but I'm thankful for the ones who are mindful and who are yeah. prepared, who are doing all the work in their heads yeah. and in actionable work to, to try to prepare the places around them and the yeah. communities around them. That just awareness, you know, yeah. even just me and you having a conversation about what happens if we were nuked, you know, like yeah. obviously in my opinion, I don't have much to do at that point. Right. No, there's not much, there's not much I can no. do, but maybe there's some preparation that I can have yeah. beforehand that would help me right. in the moment. I don't know. I remember you, you said that about getting nuked. I remember whenever we were in combat training, it was about what to do in like a nuclear war. And I remember the instructor was just like, if you see a bright flash in a mushroom cloud, you better just bend over and kiss your butt. Oh my gosh. You're about to get. I mean, what else? What, what other training is there? That's it. 
lay down on the ground and hope for the best. But, uh, what kind of mentors or examples did you have in front of you? We talked a little bit about as a child you had some yeah. cousins, uncles, but yeah. what what about when you got in the service? When I got in the service, I had a, I guess the first one would be my recruiter, Sergeant Bible and Sergeant Laughlin, because I contacted them about joining Marines. They didn't contact me, mm-hmm. and that's what one of the first things that Sergeant Bible said to me, like, Whenever they came to the school to talk to me, we introduced ourselves to each other, and they're like, you know, give us a rundown on, you know, what you academically and sports and stuff. And I remember him just saying, well, tell us why you want to join the Marine Corps, because the Marines don't want you. You want the Marines. We don't want you. Right. You know, why do you want to be a part of the Marines? And he, he stayed in touch with me through boot camp. We're friends on Facebook. Every now and then we'll, you know, send a message back and forth. But um. He definitely was, and my cousin Lonnie, like I say, he played a huge role in it, whether he knows it or not. And I mean, he still, to this day, like you can ask people in my family, they're like, oh, all Chris wanted to do was be like Lonnie. Well, in my eyes, Lonnie was it. I mean, the hero. He was, like, he is the hero, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, then when I got out to the Fleet Marine Force, uh, I started meeting guys, and I stayed in touch with a lot, a lot of them. Uh, one of the main ones is uh, my best friend, Josh Stanton. He's a master sergeant now. He's he's the one I was telling you about just getting ready to retire. Right. Uh, he took me under his wing, and he showed me, taught me a lot. You know, he taught me a lot about leadership, taught me a lot about our job, and just taught me, you know, how to be a good Marine, really. Right. And there was guys like Sergeant Trimbley, Sergeant Day, the guys that, you know, when they first came back, and they took us under their wings, and they, you know, all right, it's time for y'all to lay off of them and start teaching these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they gave us opportunities, you know, and gave us chances. And I mean, I had a lot of great mentors. You mentioned that they taught you how to be a good Marine, but I honestly think that that was more, it was more than that. You were so young at the point, at that point. So you were moldable. Yeah. Um, But I think they taught you how to be a good man too. I've talked to a few people before this interview of like, just, you know, tell me, do you know Chris? What do you think about Chris? And every single one has said, he's just a good dude. Like he's just a good dude. He just has, he's the value. He has the right values. He has the right morals. You know, he's, He's just gonna go to bat for you, yeah. like he's gonna go stand toe to toe for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Appreciate that. Yeah. Um, tell me about the changes that this has made in your family. We yeah. talked a little bit about this before the episode started, but with your kids and your wife, you yeah. the, all that came yeah. along yeah. afterwards. Yeah. So now, so now, um, now I'm married. I've got two kids. I got married back in 2012. I got Piper and Macy. Mm-hmm. And um. They all the time. I've got a wall at the house. It's got a bunch of Marine Corps stuff on it, memorabilia, plaques, promotion warrants, and stuff. And um, when you graduate boot camp, they give you a big red book. It's like a yearbook. Mm-hmm. And all the time, they're getting that thing and flipping through the pages. And Daddy, can you show us this and show us you in this book? And I've got tons of pictures at home from deployments and just us at the barracks on the weekend when we didn't have nothing to do, just sitting outside. Right having some beverages and just, you know <laughs> but um they uh both Piper and Macy I, I like I say I, I think I'm raising one if not two I don't know if it'll be Marines or future service members that's awesome but and it, it scares me to death to think that but at the same time I know what it did for me right and, what are some of their favorite stories to hear? I know you probably tell them stories about your service, but what are some of their favorite stories or what are some stories that you would want people to know? They, uh, they always like my friend, uh, Josh Stanton, whenever he comes down, 
is he's married and his wife is from San Antonio. She's also a former Marine. Okay. So once or twice a year they'll come down and uh they'll get the kids will get to sit there and listen to me and him swap stories back and forth and uh, I mean there's just all kinds of stories. Just any anything to do with the Marine Corps, they you know They're tell down us about, for it. tell us a story about you and Uncle Josh. Tell us about, you know, this. Did y'all do this and tell us about the time that those two guys got in a fight and y'all went to jail, you know, <laughs> stuff like that. But, I think that correlates to them just being really proud of you. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, I'm glad that they can see the sacrifice that you had, the sacrifice that you made by doing that, even before they were even thought of. Um, That's something cool for them to have on their belt is my dad was a Marine, and he, you know, fought for us. He fought for us. He fights for us every day here, but he fought for you too over there. Um, One one story that I've got that that I can share that they like hearing is I shared it on Facebook last year. It was a... In 2006, I got to go to New York City and be part of a five-year memorial for September 11th attacks, and that was a that was a very I don't know what kind of experience you call it, but that was just a very it was just a unique experience, and uh, the way that worked, I don't know how I got chosen to go, but we got on the USS San Antonio in Norfolk, Virginia. It was me and four or five other Marines out of Bravo Battery. How we got picked, I don't know. I guess it was just God had that in his right. cards for us. And we sailed into New York Harbor like on September, the morning of September the 11th, 2006, at the same time that the you know first plane hit the North Tower. And I remember standing there and we did what they call man in the rails where you've got all the personnel standing on the edge of like the perimeter of the ship. It's like Marine, sailor, Marine, sailor. And everybody's got their dress uniforms on. It's real, you know, real cool. And I remember sailing into the port, and like as we were sailing, in, sailing in, you can see Manhattan, and you see like it looks like just a, like a tiny trail of ants, of, but it's people walking down the sidewalks, and they're uh-huh. all headed like down the Pier 92 where we were pulling in at, because this was a big deal. And I remember we, when we pulled into that pier to park that ship, there was just thousands of people, like as far as you can see, uh-huh. and it was just like, just like a roar of applause of people whenever we pulled in. And um, after we did our little memorial that morning, we got to go out through the city. And we were there, like, through the weekend. And um, I got to meet so many people up there, like, first responders that were there when it happened, people who lost family members. I mean, it just, it was, a, it was a great experience. Well, that came full circle for you. It did. Because that's where it all began. Yeah, it did. I mean, it, it's something I'll never forget. Yeah. So tell me, you talked a little bit about why you wanted to get out of the service. Tell me what the transition looked like for you. Well, it was, uh, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty rough. It was pretty hard on me. Uh, I remember right before I was getting out, we came back from our second deployment, which was a cakewalk. Nothing nothing happened. That was when uh, we went up to Kuwait, like I was telling you, and nothing really happened. I right. mean, it wasn't, you know, we weren't in, you know, the front lines of combat or anything, the combat environment at all. And, um... We came, we came back, I came home on leave, and I only had a couple months left, and I thought I had it all figured out. I'm like, yeah, I'm getting out of the Marine Corps, finally coming home, you know, and so I got home, and like I say, usually, whenever I would first come home on leave, everything was, everybody was happy to see you, everybody was just, oh, so, you know, we're so glad to see you, and you couldn't, you couldn't find the time to see everybody. Well, then that last time, I was home for good, you know? Right. And after the honeymoon phase of being home was over with, it just, it was like, hey, this is the real world. This is your life now. There ain't no going back to Bravo mm-hmm. Battery, and it was hard. And I came home, 
and the honeymoon phase was over and it was like hey you know this is you're not going back to Broadway better you're done with the Marines it's over you know I was trying to find find a job this was in uh, July of 2008 so the economy was kind of shaky kind of shaky so finding you know good you know gainful employment was it was it was hard it was mm-hmm. difficult and um, I struggled to find a job and I started out I was going to work for my dad he had a little he was an electrical contractor still is and I was going to work for him and learn to trade well that didn't work because you know working for dad wasn't what I wanted to do all my friends were working in the oil field making big money and that's what I wanted to do well that didn't happen so I don't know I was home a couple months and I was like, you know, this this sucks. I was like, this this you know, civilian life sucks. You know, mm-hmm. this is it, this what it's about. You know, I don't want this. And I told my parents, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna go back to the Marines. They're like, no, you're not. No, you're not. You you know, you've made it. You're not going back. Blah, blah, blah. And so, um, so I started drinking a lot and like excessive amounts, like every day, because I was like, you know what, I got a little job. It's enough to go to work and. Pay my rent. I was renting a little house there in Tig. And I was like, that's all I got. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, this just ain't worth it. So I just quit. You know, I quit caring. I was like, you know, I mean. You were just numbing it. Yeah, pretty much. I yeah. was numbing it, and I would talk to guys that I was in the Marines with, and they're like, man, you gotta, you gotta get, get control of yourself, man. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I'm, I'm fine. I got mm-hmm. it. And uh, but really deep down, I was struggling. You yeah, know, I was drowning. And I think it's just, uh, I don't know, it's, it's the grace of God that, you know, my parents, they cared enough about me. My mom was like, you gotta get some help. And I was like, I don't need any help. I was like, I got it. I know what I'm doing, I got it. Well, she talked me into going to the VA and I went and I talked to, I don't know, a counselor or whatever, told her what was going on. And she was like, all right, well, we're gonna put you on, on this uh, antidepressant medicine. It's gonna fix everything. Well, I just was like, all right, well, I'll just take that with a 30-pack of beer. Uh-huh. We'll be good to go. Yeah. So it got worse from there. And uh, I don't know, just that whole little period of time, probably from, that was July of 2008 till probably probably early 2009. I was just a wreck. I mean, I was a train wreck, just didn't care no more. And it's like I, wa- I wanted to go back to the Marines, but I knew I couldn't. And I wanted to go back, like, the kicker was, I want to go back, but I want to be with the guys that I left. Sure. I want to go back and pick up like nothing like I never left and I knew that that wasn't possible. You couldn't control that. Because those guys, a lot of them, after I left, they went on the point, they went to Afghanistan and I think that had a lot to do with it too. I was, you know, like, you know, I I abandoned those guys. Right. I came home Uh and now they're in Afghanistan, you know, fighting for their lives. You felt coward, like a coward. Yeah, I felt like I'd let them down, you know, in a sense. And, uh, but anyway, so I I finally started slowly but surely, uh, I got a job with a guy there in Tig, he did, uh, did some oil field work, and I got got on with him, and he gave me a chance, and I started putting my life back together, and then I met my wife one day, and so it kind of all just, she's helped me out tremendously. Okay. Especially, you know, back then in the early days. And I mean, she saw, she's seen me, you know, at some very low points in my life, mm-hmm. and she stuck with me, so. That's good. How long was the transition period for you? It was, it was, it was, it was a good, you know, a good solid year at least. I mean, of just trying to figure out, okay, how do I go from 
one day, you know, I'm at Camp Lejeune mm-hmm. wearing Marine Corps, you know, utilities to that night I'm back home in TIG and I don't, I'm nobody. Yeah, know. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, no idea. Yeah. So it took me about a good solid year and then, you know, even after that, you know, there I've had moments and I'm like, you know, this, I don't know, I just would get just a, like the smallest thing would just set me off. Mm-hmm. And Tara was like, why, why are you so upset? And I'm like, you, you just don't understand. I was like, it's, you know, stuff like this, you know, if, if you did stuff like this whenever you're, whenever you're in the Marines with the guys I was with, you know, somebody would have jerked you up by the shirt collar. You right. Know? Okay, so tell me what you miss about being in the service. What I, what I miss the most about being in the service, I miss the brotherhood. Mm-hmm. I miss the camaraderie, the brotherhood, the standing out in the field, uh, the guys that I was with don't understand this. Standing out in the field in January at Camp Lejeune, doing artillery exercise, and it's pouring down rain and uh. freezing. But and I think you know about the brotherhood. That's that's how we formed that brotherhood was through suffering. Right. You know we were all in the same, you know, same circumstances. We all suffered together and grew together. And I miss the you know getting to travel like I did. I mean, I've got, I've gone around the world twice. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen places that I ne- didn't even really know existed. Right. I'd have never saw those places had I not joined the Marines. Right. Know. That's awesome. Um, what do you want people to know about veterans? I think, um, I think a lot of veterans and me, especially, I have a hard time. Like whenever Veterans Day comes around and people are like, Hey man, thank you for your service. A lot of times I don't know what to say because it's like, I'm not looking for a thank you for your service. Right. For your service, you know that's not why I enlisted. You know I, I appreciate it, but it's it's hard to. I don't know. To me, it's like, I, well, you know, I appreciate that's fine, but I don't walk around beating my chest saying, "Hey, wearing you know, that on your sleeve." Today's Veterans Day. I want off work. I want this and that. It's just to me. I mean, I I appreciate it, but it's. I guess I'm humble about it. Right. And I feel like most veterans are. And, not, not saying I don't want to hear, you know, Happy Veterans Day, but... Um, what do you think the best ways for civilians to appreciate veterans is? I mean, as, as, I don't know exactly the best way, but this is going to contradict what I just said, though, is hearing somebody to say, Happy, you know, have a good Veterans Day or thank you for your service, you do appreciate it because there's a lot of times that you don't hear it from people. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of... You know, people that you, you know, hey, I'm a veteran, they just look at you and say, oh, you know, whatever. Or like even people that are on active duty, when I was on active duty, you tell them like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm in the Marine Corps. Like, oh, oh, great. You know, and you kind of get like this vibe from some people like they don't, they don't care, they don't support you or whatever. And, uh, so by no means are you looking for extra accolades, but you right. do like acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah, I think most of their, yes. That's and as civilians, I think that's the least we can do is just yeah. acknowledge. I don't, I don't need a big Happy Veterans Day Chris Cockerham post, you know. <laughs> I just say, hey, you know, it's Veterans Day, you know, thanks for your service. You right. Know? That, that's plenty. Yeah. And uh, I think another thing, too, as a veteran that um, I think it's important that people People know the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Yes. Because a lot of times on Memorial Day, people, hey, man, thanks for your service. I'm like, well, I appreciate that, but today's not about me. Right. Today's about the guys, you know, that didn't come home. It's not about me and other veterans. It's about it's about the ones that paid the sacrifice, mm-hmm. you know. And, yeah, that's huge. 
That's a lot huge. of veterans, I feel like, are misunderstood when they first come home because you go through a transition period. I don't care. You know, people, some people can say, oh, it was easy for me, and it might have been. But there's some guys that have a way harder time than what I did. And have been home for years and yeah. are still transitioning. Yeah, and a lot of people, you know, unfortunately, they don't have the support group like I had, like my family, my mom, my dad, and my sister, you know. They what do you me. think we can do as a society to make the transition easier for veterans? Just... I guess just, you know, try to, you know, when you know somebody's a veteran, just try to, I'm not going to say handle them with care because that's the last thing that you want, but just realize, hey, this person's got a story I probably don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand exactly why this person reacts the way they do, but, and not not label them or give them that stigmatism like, oh, you know, he, he's a veteran, he's got PTSD and all this stuff. And don't definitely uh, want to treat him like that. Yeah. Because as a veteran, you want... You want to be included, and you want to be, you know, you don't want to feel like, well, these are all my civilian friends, and I'm the veteran Mm -hmm. at all. You don't, right? You don't want that. So I guess just, you know, welcome them. I mean, make them feel. What about from an employment standpoint, post-service employment? I, you gotta with that. I would say definitely you have to be. I'd say a little more patient with Uh somebody like that because you might have a guy that's got 20 years in that's a retiree and. He's over a whole battalion of Marines or sailors or whatever. He's over, and then he comes to work, and he's a grade one. Right. And now people are telling him what to do, and it's going to take some time, some adjustment. You know, well, and like with you, you went straight out of high school. You had no work experience. Yeah. No. The, I worked at the Marines. Form between Tig and Mahia. That was it. <laughs> the Marines were your work experience. Yeah, that was it. That was, that was uh, yeah, that, that was my work experience and my you know, I say people go to college and they learn stuff, but my college was Bravo Battery. Yeah. I mean, that was where I learned. That's where I cut my teeth at. Because I say boot camp was hard. I say that, you know, MCT wasn't nothing. MOS school wasn't nothing. But getting out there and picking up with those guys I was with, it was that was that was whenever it started. It was right. like, what have I got myself into? Mm-hmm. So. It's awesome. I, I love that you appreciate being bigger, being a part of something that was bigger than yeah. you um, with a, all, a general goal of all of you. And it's it's for people you've never met before. And that's that's really awesome, really special. Is there anything that you would change about your story or um, your service time? There, there, there is. I mean, there's, you know, I'm, overall, though, I'm, I'm happy. I'm satisfied with it. I feel like that, you know, even though I didn't get to go stand, like, stand toe-to-toe mm-hmm. with the Taliban in Ramadi or Fallujah or in Afghanistan or, you know, have this great portfolio of war stories to come on here and tell. I feel like it was part of God's plan, and he put me where I needed to be. Yeah. And I feel like that, you know, my mom, I know the, her, the four years I was enlisted, she was just, you know, a wreck. Yeah. And I know she done a lot of praying. I know people in the community did a lot of praying for my safety. And... I came home with all my fingers, toes, with my sanity. I mean, I can't, couldn't ask for more. So there there are some things, there are some situations I wish I would have handled differently and some things that, you know, that happened that I would have, you know, said, hey, no, whoa, time out. Yeah. Know? But I think that Chris we all know and love today is not the Chris we would get had you not gone. Yeah, um, no, absolutely not. And you said a hundred <laughs> times already that every single day had purpose. and. Yeah. That's awesome. It's made you the the husband and the dad and the yeah. son and everything that you are now, the worker, and the friend, the brother's keeper. I can tell you this, too. The, the Chris is sitting here talking to you today. If it was the 21-year-old 
Chris, you know, Miranda is a totally different person too. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing. Whenever I came home, I had to figure out how to turn that switch off. Like I'd come home on leave and it's like, all right, I've been out in the field. We've been doing this. We've been, you know, doing whatever we've been doing out there. And then you come home the next day and say, I got to cut the switch off. And it's like, you can't cut the switch off. And it's not that they don't prepare you how to cut that switch off whenever you're in, you know, time's finally up. I mean, but it's not, it's not as simple as just, well, it's not a switch. Yeah. It's not a switch. Like you're hardwired. And I think it all starts before a person even, you know, spends their whole enlistment period. I, I think it starts whenever they, you know, say, hey, this is what I want to do, and they sign that dotted line. Right. I mean, but it takes a special person to do that. I mean. It does. That's that's the epitome of sacrifice. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, the people, I think, you know, in my opinion, I feel like, you know, I did my four years. I came home. Like I told you, I feel like I didn't have much of a story. I know guys that have a story they could sit here and talk to you for hours and hours and just tell you things you wouldn't believe you know and, I mean there's friends of mine I've talked to and they've told me stories and it just man it's, it's just unreal right you know some of the situations they've been in and survived you know and you hear about stories on television and read them but then whenever it's somebody that you know you know personally have a relationship with it, it hits way different I think Veterans Day um, and Memorial Day, too, they provide awareness for us to just remember the sacrifice that was made for us and the sacrifice that is being made for us every day by the veterans. But it's really something that should be more on our minds all year round. And I'm one of the people, and I don't know if Tara gets aggravated. I'm sure she doesn't because she loves the fact that I was in the Mm -hmm. the Marines and uh, I'm a veteran. Like, if we're in the store or something, I see a guy wearing a Vietnam vet hat or a World War II I'm going to go speak to them. Yeah. You know, or a Gulf War hat or a Iraq hat in Afghanistan. I'll go speak to them and say, hey, how are you? You know, thanks for your service. I'm a veteran also. And sure. then when you tell them that, you tell them part of like, I'm a veteran also, then they want to talk. That's it's brotherhood like, right there. That's it. It's like you tell them thank you for your service. And they're like, okay, well, I appreciate it. So, you know, I'm a veteran also. Oh, 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 oh. you know, what years were you in? Mm-hmm. You know, all that stuff. But, so, one other thing I want to hit on, and I've only heard a little bit of this, but there's a camaraderie among uh what am i trying to say you've got army you've got marines you've got yeah. navy you've got air force all y'all think y'all are the other people are less than yeah yeah right they don't work yeah. hard enough they that's, don't do the, the same type of battles yeah that's true there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of inner squad mingling going on yeah 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 not mingling inner squad rivalry right but that's special too because i mean all of y'all are putting up some major sacrifices yeah. but it's funny that you can joke about it and i've got friends i got friends that are in the navy the army air force but i'll tell them like this when my recruiter asked me why i want to join marines i told him because i wanted to join the best <laughs> i said i want to be a part of the best of the best right but no uh, absolutely everybody it doesn't matter what branch you served in or what you did what your job was if you served a purpose and you answered the call and i mean to me those that, that means a lot about somebody. That just that it tells does. you the caliber of somebody's character. I it mean, does. Regardless of how that person is or whatever. I yeah. Mean, they answer the call and, you know, you got to give them a tip of the hat for sure. Well, this is a genuine thank you for your service from me. I, I thank you for it. coming on and sharing yes, this. Yes, ma'am. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah. I really do. I've never done anything like this. and. I just, I really appreciate I think this. it's meaningful conversation. I mean, in light of Veterans Day, yes, of course, but to have all year round for us to be, just be more aware of what, yeah. what is happening day in and day out on our behalf, I yeah. think that's really important. So thank you for bringing awareness to yes, it. Yes, ma'am. Yes, thank you for having me.